when you think about GPS and it's available on your phone, uh, you don't think about uh, paying for the satellites that facilitate GPS. But uh, somebody has been investing billions of euros or dollars uh, in order for you to be able to enjoy the GPS positioning experience. And now that, that everybody outdoors has become accustomed to this capability, there's sort of this inherent expectation that because it's, uh, it seems to be free for me as an end user outdoors, so it probably is the same indoors. Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. And today I'm lucky enough to be talking to Eric from a company called Indoor Atlas. And Indoor Atlas is using the geometric field of buildings to help solve the problem or at least some of the challenges around indoor navigation. Hi Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to come along and and talk to me today. Much appreciated. And the reason I reached out to you and the reason I've been so interested in, in this, this discussion we're going to have today is because you're doing something with indoor navigation. And I, I think there's, there's lots of companies out there doing something with indoor, indoor navigation at the moment. It's, it's a hot space, but you approach it, or your company, I should say, approaches it in a slightly different way. You're using the geomagnetic field of buildings. So yeah, maybe, but before we get into that, perhaps you could start off by just giving us a little bit of background about yourself, and then maybe we could move on and talk about how you're doing indoor navigation, and, and we'll, we'll take it from there. Yes, uh, thank you, Daniel. So my name is Eric Pielen. I'm the CEO of Indoor Atlas. I've been in the company for something like three years, but I, I continue to be very excited about the technology that we are making. And uh, like you said, it's a uh, it is a bit different from anything else out there. Cool. Um, so Indoor Atlas. Already, we're thinking indoor navigation. We're thinking about a map that is centered on on buildings, perhaps on the urban space. Um, how are you approaching this differently? Like I said at the top of the interview here, you're using the geomagnetic magnetic field of a building. How does that work? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, yeah, I would be happy to. This is actually based on, on an invention that was made um, in the old university where the company sort of has its its root. So in the university research, um, the founder of the company, Mr. Jan Haverinen, he realized that the uh, each uh, building actually has a unique uh, geomagnetic fingerprint. And what that means is that uh, um, the Earth's geomagnetic field obviously is, is present everywhere, uh, no matter where you are on Earth. Uh, but uh, uh, only when you have a building and uh, this building contains some metal structures, uh, what happens is that the metal structures will interact with the geomagnetic field, therefore creating a unique uh, fingerprint. And what is very interesting here is that uh, um, the way our technology is working is that we can actually use the standard compass chips that are available on mobile phones. It turns out that they are accurate enough to detect the minute variations in the geomagnetic field where these variations are are, um, there due to the presence of of metal structures. So thus it then becomes possible to walk around in a building uh, and to collect uh, on every floor its unique uh, geomagnetic fingerprint. And what you can then do is that you can actually make a map of the uh, geomagnetic variations. And then later on, uh, once you have been creating this map, you can actually come back to the space uh, and uh, find where you are based on, on the, the geomagnetic information around you and comparing that to the geomagnetic map. So that's kind of a 
in a nutshell, the, the founding idea uh, how the company was started. And, and uh, we, we are the pioneer company uh, in the geomagnetic uh, positioning uh, using this sort of method. Then over the years, we have actually been adding many other algorithms on top of the geomagnetic field. So nowadays, uh, we are a sensor fusion company. And what that implies is that we still use the geomagnetic positioning as the founding positioning technology. But in addition to this, we also use a whole host of other technologies using the other sensors that are available in modern smartphones. So that will include uh, things like the accelerometer and the gyroscope. So to be able to detect the motion of the phone. We also use uh, the radios on the phone to be able to measure uh, changes in the radio environment, typically produced by Bluetooth beacons and, and uh, Wi-Fi networks, for example. And we also use uh, the barometer to detect changes in floor, uh, I mean, changes in air pressure, which can be used to uh, be informed on when the user might have been changing the floors and, and so on. So in other words, we are kind of taking advantage of all the sensors you have available and combining them in a unique way to a positioning estimate, which is then something that one can display, for example, on top of a map to be able to have a uh, similar experience to what people are accustomed to outdoors where you have GPS available. Okay, you, you said a whole lot there, but something that I'd really like to, if we could try and clarify right from the start is, so we started off using the, the geomagnetic field of of buildings. So every building has a unique geomagnetic magnetic field and we can use that to, to navigate what once we understand how that what that field looks like could you get maybe give us an idea of what kind of accuracies we can achieve just using that geomagnetic field just using the geomagnetic fingerprint of the building and then what accuracies you're able to achieve once you integrate all these other sensors which you just talked about yeah that's an actually an excellent question and uh, yeah sorry if I, I i kind of gave you too much information in one go there so uh, the, um, the accuracy that one can get with the geomagnetic technology uh, depends on the geomagnetic features of the building. But in a, in a typical building, uh, what you may find is that the geomagnetic features uh, tend to be of the size of perhaps one to two meters. And that actually is the accuracy that we are reaching. So in our technology stack, the geomagnetic technology is the one that's producing the the ultimate accuracy. The, the other technologies are useful uh, for many reasons, but the, the accuracy is really coming from the geomagnetic side. Okay, that, that's, that's really interesting. Do you need a base map as well, or is it just enough to walk through a building and, and map the, the, the geomagnetic fingerprint of the building? First of all, I guess, do we need a base map? And if so, where, where does that come from? What do we do with it? And I guess the next question is, okay, once we have a base map, um, how do we map the geomagnetic field? So, yeah, the way this technology works is that uh, we have a couple of prerequisites that has to be or have to be met in order to be able to use the technology. So um, first of all, you have to have a floor plan of the building and uh, you know on all the floors where you might want to deploy the positioning. Uh, then you have to have physical access to these premises so that you can collect this fingerprint. Uh, and third, you are going to need an Android phone where you can install our Map Creator 2 application. And this application is the one that actually is um, recording the geomagnetic field and therefore collecting the, the fingerprint. Um, and the way that works is that uh, in our workflow, 
the, the very first thing that you have to have is an account in our system, which is available for free. So anybody can just go and register on our website and, and, and become a developer that way. And uh, uh, after the registration process, you can create a venue. And the first thing in the process of creating a venue is to upload a uh, floor plan or a set of floor plans if you have a multi-story building. And uh, uh, once you have uploaded your floor plans, you need to align and scale those floor plans uh, on top of a, of a world map so that uh, you have the right orientation and, and right size of your floor plan. Uh, for this part of the process, uh, we obviously recommend people to use accurate floor plans so that they are uh, in scale. And uh, once this setup phase is done, so now the floor plans are uploaded into our service and so forth, uh, then one can go uh, to the premises um, and then do the, the fingerprinting, as we call it, um, the, the process of, of uh, creating the fingerprint. And that is done simply by walking around uh, in the venue. Uh, and the way you do it is that uh, you set up these what we call uh, waypoints. So uh, the waypoints are points that you can easily recognize in the physical world, but also on the floor plan. Uh, so for example, if there's a pillar or maybe there's a doorway or a corner, something like that, something that's easy to see both on the, on the floor plan and the physical world. So you use these uh, waypoints uh, as the points uh, where uh, between which you walk uh, and you simply click on the application on the corresponding uh, waypoint. Uh, the waypoints are such that you can actually, within the application, add more or if the ones that you were initially planning to use were not, not good for you and so forth. So there's flexibility there and you also have flexibility in, in the way you walk uh, between the, the different waypoints. Uh, the other part of your question was, uh, you know, where does one get these floor plans? And uh, this, of course, uh, will greatly depend on, on where you are. Uh, so. Uh, the company uh, Interatlas is from Finland, and as it happens, we have a, a kind of a public registry where, where floor plans are available from the time that the buildings were first built. So that doesn't mean that they are any more accurate, but at least at one point in time, they were accurate and, and uh, they can be used for fingerprinting purposes uh, as a map. Uh, still, uh, having said that, I think the more typical scenario is that there's a relationship uh, between whoever is doing the fingerprinting and somebody who is owning and or operating uh, a building. Okay, so I heard. I just want to pick out a couple of points there. Um, the the first one that that I, I noticed was that it doesn't sound like I need any special sensors for this. It sounds like I download an an app to my phone to iOS or Android. I'm assuming it works on both, and and then I can walk around the building. And there's sensors in the phone are good enough to detect the geomagnetic fingerprint of the building. Is that correct? Uh, that's almost correct. So. Um... Uh, the way it works is that uh, uh, if you use an Android phone, then uh, with Android phones, you can actually do the fingerprinting. Well, for, let me actually back off a little bit. So so the, the fingerprinting process is something that requires an, an Android phone. So that's one of the prerequisites. But then later on, when when you, you are not anymore in the fingerprinting side of things, but you are in the positioning side, so utilizing the fingerprint. At that moment in time, uh, Android phones, uh, don't typically require any support infrastructure. 
but uh, iOS phones actually do require uh, some amount of Bluetooth beacons uh, because uh, Apple has decided that they don't enable applications to do Wi-Fi scans and therefore learn about the Wi-Fi or radio environment. So what that implies is that if you have a use case or application in mind where you do want to support both uh, Android and our iOS phones, and most of our use cases are like this, and then you actually have to uh, put in a small amount of beacons, so Bluetooth low energy beacons, uh, which are then used uh, even during the, the fingerprinting process to collect information about these, uh, these beacons. So uh, we have a tool in the tool chain that I didn't mention so far, which is called the Beacon Planner. And uh, it's a very simple tool that enables you to draw the area where you want to perform positioning on top of the floor plan. And then it gives you uh, a recommendation on where to place those beacons. Uh, and it also gives you the number of beacons that you, you will need. The number of beacons in our uh, technology uh, is, is small, so because we are primarily relying on the geomagnetic technology uh, rather than the radio technology, we only require something like uh, between 5 and 15 percent of the number of beacons that uh, some of the other alternative solutions uh, use, whereby they are only using the, the beacon information for for positioning. Um, yeah, that's an that's an important point that you have to have a, this part of the radio environment in there. And the reason, just to kind of perhaps elaborate a little bit more, so the reason why, why the radio environment is, is necessary and, and useful is that uh, these days people are used to the type of experience that they have outdoors, which is that you can pull up your phone and you can pull up a map application and you pretty much immediately uh, will see the blue dot indicating where you are. So this is kind of the expectation level that people have. And uh, in order to have that sort of immediacy uh, into the positioning experience also indoors, uh, that's something that really requires the radio positioning to be used to, to have, the, have the positioning there. And, and that's why uh, uh, our positioning algorithms uh, can actually probably be thought of as consisting of two phases, where the first phase is what we call the first global fix. And uh, that gives you a rough idea where you are and gives you pretty much immediately in a matter of a few seconds. And that uh, phase of the positioning is using the radio side of things. But when you start to move around in the building, then the geomagnetic technology kicks in and uh, the geomagnetic technology is then able to greatly improve uh, the, the accuracy there. So we call that the tracking phase of the, of the positioning experience. And that is really what gets you down to the one or two meter accuracy. That's really interesting. I'm not sure why, but I just assumed that the geomagnetic technology was the one that was that was going to be the, like the base uh, location. I was assuming that, um, okay, you'd get to a building, that would give you the base location. I'm roughly here. And then the, the, the radio frequencies would take over and give you a more exact location. But what you're saying is it's actually the other way around. You get a, a, a much quicker base location, if we can call it that, from the radio technologies, and then move over to the geomagnetic field. Yes, that's correct. And, and uh, it is indeed uh, perhaps a, a kind of a new new idea to think about it this way. Our goal uh, in terms of uh, how one goes about uh, installing the positioning system and, and deploying the technology, of course, is to minimize the amount of infrastructure to make it as easy as possible for anybody to take 
benefit of the of the technology and, and uh, so kind of the direction where we want to move is of course one where one doesn't need any additional infrastructure to be installed for the purposes of of positioning um, but um, due to these operating system limitations in uh, mobile phones uh, we of course have to accommodate those and, and that's why the but the radio environment is is something that is well it's actually a combination of the operating system requirements and the expectations of, of users and the way that our technology is integrated there so that kind of gets you into this situation where where you you get the first uh, quick position with the radio technology and then that improves on with the geomagnetic technology that also gives you really accurate tracking as you walk around the premises now i, I don't know the answer to this but I, i'm wondering so would would all these problems around indoor positioning, would they be solved today if iOS and Android just opened up everything? Would we then need beacons? Would we need physical infrastructure in the buildings to be able to, to, be able to position accurately? Or could we just do it based on, um, on uh, geomagnetic fields? Uh, that's a very interesting question. And uh, I think I want to say that, that, uh, that yes, uh, you actually wouldn't need the additional infrastructure if the phones were designed in a way that would be optimal for the algorithms that Inter Atlas is, is producing. The uh, small issue there, well, it's not so small, an important issue at the same time is the management of uh, power consumption. So of course, what you don't want to happen is that while you are doing positioning, you don't want to be consuming a lot of energy doing the positioning. So it's a compromise between uh, the amount of uh, sensor reading, computation, and battery or energy consumption to find the right kind of a sweet spot where where you are able to give users the benefits of, of really accurate indoor positioning while at the same time making sure that the battery lifetime is, uh, is maximized. And, uh, for example, what we have been developing is a set of algorithms that we can run on the phone itself so that we don't uh, need to uh, do a lot of data communication for the purposes of positioning, but the, the computation and, and the positioning estimation calculations can be done uh, on the phone itself, as opposed to uh, requiring a lot of data traffic. So, so that's one of the ways that we deal with the battery savings. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm sure there's a whole bunch of complications around that in terms of working on these these different operating systems. What I'm what I'm wondering here is that. Uh, if I take my phone out of my pocket now and walk around my house, I will get a position. Now, I'm pretty confident and it's nowhere near as accurate as what Indoor Atlas can can give me, but it's a position nonetheless. Could you imagine that Android, in, in my case, is actually reading the Wi-Fi signals around me, reading Bluetooth signals around me, combining that with GPS, looking for, for the different um, cell phone providers I might be connected to and giving me a position based on that anyway, doing all that in the background? Well, it certainly is doing some of this uh, on the background, or, or some of this capability may be coming from the network of the telecom operator that you are using. Uh, to, to keep the discussion simple, you can just think about uh, perhaps the GPS side of things, where when you have been outdoors before entering the premises, your phone has been receiving GPS signals, and therefore your phone has a rough idea on the way you have been entering the building uh, and uh, this probably is the primary source of, uh, of the positioning information that you could have you know in your case in your house 
But uh, let's imagine that you have a big house or even a huge mansion. And uh, now if you enter this, this uh, building from one side and you move about there, uh, uh, you know, more than a small, small amounts, it's very likely that the, the GPS position that you have been given is uh, very inaccurate. So uh, the GPS radio signals require a line of sight, so they don't uh, travel indoors and therefore GPS alone is not a technology that can give you good accuracy indoors. Uh, and in fact, uh, where this is leading to is that uh, no single technology actually gives you great accuracy indoors. So you need to combine or you want to um, combine multiple technologies and, and fuse them together in order to have a good positioning experience. The, the other comment perhaps that I'd like to make here is that the, the expectations that people have for accuracy indoors are completely different from what people have uh, on the outdoors spaces. So when you're outdoors, uh, probably the most typical use case uh, for positioning would be navigation during driving. And uh, in that scenario, the GPS accuracy is, is more than enough. Uh, but we also kind of have to bear in mind that if you are driving a car, your car is not going to be making sudden movements to any direction uh, at any moment in time. Most likely you will be driving forward and continuing to drive forward. Also, you have uh, typically the constraints of, of driving on a road. Uh, so when a uh, navigation system is calculating your position, it can sort of uh, base the positioning estimation on the GPS signals, but also uh, on the idea that you continue to drive on the road where you have been driving and uh, you have a certain velocity so you will be uh, you know in a moment's time in a in a kind of a pretty predictable position and, and these types of constraints help in the positioning experience and and uh, in general uh, for example in this this kind of a car uh, driving use cases the accuracy can be very low compared to what people expect to get when they are indoors and, and when they are walking. So when you're indoors, uh, now the accuracy that we are providing, uh, something like you know one, two, three meters of, of accuracy, actually is kind of what you expect to get. And um, because you can easily maneuver yourself indoors, you can you know you can take a step forward or backwards or make a turn and and, and continue walking. So the so you not only expect that the positioning experience you have is, is something that uh, is giving you a nice accuracy, but you also want to have a really low latency uh, in your positioning experience there. And uh, again, since you are indoors, you are not driving on the road at a predictable speed. Uh, so it makes the positioning estimation task that much more difficult indoors. Yeah, I can actually think of a few other examples that might um, increase or, or make the, the task of positioning indoors more difficult. And one of them would be uh, traveling up and down stairs, for example, moving different floors. That's correct, yeah. And you, you mentioned right at the start that you solve for that problem using a barometer. Is that correct? Uh, yes, and um, exactly like in the, in the place that latitude and latitude also give you uh, the floor where you are. When, uh, and, and the only... Uh, Sort of prerequisite to this is that uh, you have been mapping all the floors where you expect the, uh, the positioning to happen. So barometer is one of the data sources that we use to detect uh, changes in altitude and, and uh, different floors. Um, but barometer is not a device that's present on every mobile phone. So you need to be able to to be able to uh, 
you positioning even if you don't have a parameter. And actually, the way it turns out is that the geomagnetic fingerprints of each floor are different from each other. So even the geomagnetic um, fingerprint can be alone one source of flow information. Also, the radio environment is going to be a little bit different from floor to floor. So again, what you need to do here is to combine all of these different information sources to be able to do a good job in, in, in calculating the uh, position in terms of the floor number. And of course, you have a, multiple ways of changing the floor. One, one way is to walk the chairs up or down, but then of course, you could also just take an escalator or you might uh, be having an elevator. So there are different ways that one can change floors. And from the viewpoint of somebody who is designing the algorithms and the positioning methods, they are kind of different from each other. And you need to recognize the, that these different ways exist and, and be able to support all of them. Another thing you mentioned in the pre-interview when we were talking about the, these expectations people have in terms of indoor positioning, and again, we were we were making a comparison to outdoor positioning, and we talked a little bit about GPS, and we talked about the fact that it's free. Well, it's technically, as of course, it's not free, but we as a user don't pay for it. We just open our phones, click a button, and we, we have a position. And this is definitely not the case in, in terms of indoor positioning. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges there in terms of wide-scale adoption of, of indoor positioning? Yes, exactly. And, and, it, and it, it stems from the fact that uh, when you think about GPS and it's available on your phone, uh, you don't think about uh, paying for the satellites that facilitate GPS. But uh, somebody has been investing billions of euros or dollars uh, in order for you to be able to enjoy the GPS positioning experience. And now that, that everybody outdoors has become accustomed to this capability, there's sort of this inherent expectation that because it's, uh, it seems to be free for me as an end user outdoors, so it probably is the same indoors. So uh, uh, for, for companies like ourselves who operate in this space and are providing positioning solutions indoors, uh, this uh, actually represents a problem on how do you build the business models uh, and uh, how do you provide experiences that are valuable to the end user and uh, are able to monetize on this technology like uh, any company needs to monetize whatever they are doing in order to, to proceed and survive. Um, so, so that's an important thing. And in practice, uh, among the deployments that we have been making around the globe, uh, I, I think that uh, in every single one of those, the business model is such where the end user is not directly paying for the positioning capability. So if we give, uh, for example, an example of uh, a transportation hub, which could be a train station or which could be a, an airport or something like that, uh, the user of an application that supports positioning in those spaces would not be paying for that application, but rather the application would be provided by the airline or by the airport operator or by the train line or something like that. So so there's a big difference there. Yeah, and I think this is a very also a really, really important consideration. Like if um, at some stage we as a society decided that uh, global positioning, the global positioning system was so important that we were going to make it you know, available to, to everyone that wanted to hook up to it. Could you imagine a time where we can see indoor positioning in, in the same way? And if, and if we did decide to make this... Uh, 
globally available, uh, another piece of the global infrastructure, what would it take to do that? Because it feels very much like it's a case-by-case basis at the moment. Is there any chance of this being um, comparable to GPS in terms of that global coverage? That's an excellent question. And, and of course, uh, the way we see ourselves is that we are a company who has the technical capability to be that global player and to enable all of these uh, different spaces. Um, but uh, uh, like I mentioned here, we have a certain workflow that needs to be followed in order to enable the indoor positioning to happen indoors. And, and at the moment, there are no, um, or there's no single company that would be providing a solution that would be uh, available everywhere. Uh, of course, we have the large ecosystem players who are also part of this ecosystem. So you have companies like Apple and Google who have their own indoor positioning strategies. The like you said there, uh, there's there's value, uh, a lot of value in being able to know where you are indoors, and that is something that enables many other exciting services and use cases um, when you have indoor positioning available and indoor location available. Uh, so those use cases are valuable, and, and therefore it makes sense for these to be available everywhere. Uh, but because the technological environment is uh, is much more challenging when you are indoors, so you can't uh, do the equivalent of, of GPS, which would be just to have a fairly limited amount of satellites globally, uh, then serving everybody, you know, on the surface. But rather in buildings, you have to deal with the separate floors and so on. So um, there are many technologies uh, that are available. Uh, none of them is the is the single one player. Uh, they come with different uh, good sides and, and different bad sides. Uh, the reason why we believe in the geomagnetic technology is that the, the core component of the position is something that's already there. You know, the geomagnetic field is something that's been provided by, by Earth itself. So in that sense, it's providing this infrastructure already uh, as is. Yeah, and when I hear you talk about the different challenges in, in terms of indoor positioning, I think it's both re- really exciting and I think if I was a company in the space, it'd be really scary as well because I guess the challenge is to provide so much value to the end user that that companies are going to want to pay for this. Companies are going to invest in it and they're going to create experiences or create journeys or, or value in some way for the end user that, that it's going to be able to be monetized. So they're going to get their money back on their investment in some way, shape or form, whether that's in terms of branding, just providing amazing companies a consumer service or whether it's i think the classic uh path to monetization we've seen again and again is advertising and personally i hope we don't go down that road or uh, something else something in the terms of the, the experience which really sort of provides enough value that people say hey this is worth investing in uh, let's do it and i think that that's both really interesting and really scary at this at the same time yeah, it's 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 very true, and uh, I also think that it's a bit scary that uh, that uh, you have these kind of technologies available that enable uh, one to position or, or know where you are at all times, um, and uh, of course uh, uh, this is a problem that can be or, or these fears can be managed and mitigated. So. Uh, uh, one has to sort of uh, think about indoor positioning capability also in the context of, of privacy and, and to be able to provide uh, solutions that are secure so that uh, your privacy and, and your positioning information is not compromised. I, I think that, the, um, well, I have been myself in this, in this business for roughly three years, so I consider myself still a, a newcomer. 
one of the uh, sort of classical business models indeed is advertising and to have uh, the proximity advertisement capability. Uh, I think it's easy to see how this could be also kind of disturbing. So you probably don't want to get uh, notifications of advertisements uh, on every step that you take. And uh, if you did that, it's very likely that your users would be very unsatisfied and, and not run your application or, or service. So you need to find ways that uh, are pleasant and the value is provided in a way that uh, keeps people incentivized and motivated in, in using the applications and solutions. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of providing value, I can see something like this you know, saving people a lot of time or giving those personalized experiences. You're standing at the checkout at the, at the airport, your your plane is canceled, where do I go next? You know, it's, it's a stressful situation that I think, you know, we've all been there before, we've all stood at the, at, at the checkout gate, oh no, the, the, the gate's changed, the plane's leaving from somewhere else. Just as an example, of course, how do I get there? And you want a personalized experience at that moment. I want navigation designed for me at the moment, getting me from where I am now to where I need to be in a short space of time. I can imagine things like that providing so much value that people are, people would be willing to invest. Yes, exactly. And, and there's um, you mentioned uh, sort of uh, alluded at least to, to, to stress levels, and I think that indoor positioning is certainly something that can really help in, in managing the stress levels. And we have a uh, deployments in, in hospitals, uh, for example, where there are applications that provide the patients and, and the staff and uh, visitors to the hospitals guidance and information where they are. And uh, that's one way uh, how actually this can be, or positioning can be very powerful in that it can reduce your, your stress levels because uh, now you can uh, easily get where you need to go in time, uh, you know, complex building like a hospital would be. And uh, we also need to bear in mind that these buildings like hospitals and, and airports and uh, almost any very large uh, structure of the type that they are kind of not static, they are changing. So departments change and you mentioned the, the gates change. Well, gate changing is of course a very frequent occurrence in, in an airport, but the even larger functions within a building can change and, and uh, this is where, where the digital positioning systems and digital maps really come in handy as they are able to easily adapt to changes and therefore provide a better user experience. Eric, I really want to thank you for, for this, this fascinating conversation about indoor positioning, what it looks like today and, and perhaps what the future of, of this might be. I think it's an incredibly fascinating space that you're working in, full of challenges, but I yeah, I think it's going to be really, really, really interesting to see how companies like Indoor Atlas solve these problems in the future and what kind of experiences we, we, we can expect in terms of indoor positioning and, and navigation. Thanks so much for coming along. Um, but before I let you go, where can I go to, to learn more about you? Uh, yeah, thank you, Daniel. So you can easily just go to our website, uh, indooratlas.com, and uh, you can uh, find a lot of information and videos uh, there directly. Uh, if you want to learn even more and go even deeper, you can register as a developer, and uh, then you can get access to more videos, more documentation, uh, example software, and so on. And, and that actually even puts you into a place where you can start to use our technology just like that by, by fingerprinting a, a, a place like your own home or any building and, and go from there. Eric, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Daniel. 
And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel, and I want to thank you again this week for tuning in. It's much appreciated. If you'd like to reach out to me for whatever reason on social media, you'll find some useful links in the show notes.